All right, today we're going to talk about education. And as somebody that's been in education for all of my career, I could tell you right now, we need some changes because the educational system is broken. And the reason I'm doing this podcast is because last night I saw something on one of the news outlets that was talking about the teacher shortage in education and some of the things that we're doing to fix it. And so I'm going to go through some of my ideas on how we can fix education because they need to be systematic changes across the board. And some of the stuff that we need to do, nobody's talking about. So if you have a teacher friend, if you know somebody that's in education or even a parent, share this podcast with them. I'd be interested to know what other people think. So first, let's start with what the problem is and what we're doing and what most people don't know. So first, the teacher shortage that they were talking about was based on vacancies. How many vacancies do we have? I know in my county and in probably in my state, but particularly in my county because I know how it works, there's over 100,000 students in our county, lots of teachers. Our vacancies don't show up on any reports unless it's an actual, unless it's not filled with somebody. And so we have permanent subs that we fill the vacancies with. They're not qualified to be teachers, but we need somebody in there because we have a huge school. So we're really good at filling our vacancies. So if somebody pulls a report, it's going to look like there's no vacancies in our school. Maybe one, one or two at the most because we fill them pretty quick because a lot of the subs like to come to our school. But the thing is, it messes up the data. So when you see on the news, they say, oh, there's 2,200 vacancies in the state of Texas for teachers you can inflate that number right off the bat because that's just the ones that are not filled that they can't even find subs to go in number two testing and all the stuff that's loaded on teachers i'm not a teacher i'm outside of the classroom there was some stuff implemented in our district this this year and last year and we try to push back but we don't have any say in it and what it is is it's like let's load more on teachers we already don't pay teachers enough we already have teachers leaving at an alarming rate. Now let's load up a bunch of tedious, uh, busy work, for lack of a better term. Lots of paperwork. They're already teaching. When you're teaching 130 kids, you start piling it on. It just it feels like it's not what you signed up for. So we've got to fix that. The other thing is testing. Most parents don't realize how much testing. We counted up testing in my school one time. And it was, we have a school of 3,000, and the number of tests that we gave that year, I don't even remember, but I know it was over six figures. It was like over 100,000 tests because a lot of tests are two or three days. For example, our governor, you know, he's got a lot of good plugs, you know, like uh, we're going to get rid of testing in our state. We're going to no longer have state testing. And he called it the specific state. Well, I'll just say it. I'm in the state of Florida. So he said, no more FSA testing. The FSA testing is a two-day test. Students have to take them to graduate. There's a reading. There's a math. So instead of getting rid of it, it sounds like he's saying we're going to get rid of it. But no, there are people on the back end getting paid to administer these tests. And then that money gets going into the pockets of the private businesses that are doing it. So what happens is it's changed to a like common assessment type thing where we're going to test them at the beginning of the semester, the middle of the semester and the end of the semester. So a two day test now became a three day test instead of a two day test at the end. It's now three days, three days, one at the beginning of the year, one at the middle, one at the end. We just increased testing, even though if you look at a news outlet, it looks like 
hey, I am decreasing testing. Now, I like a lot of stuff that Ron DeSantis does and says, so don't, I don't like to get into politics, but I don't think anybody's perfect. I'm not one of those people that just goes with a party and whatever. I'm going to call it how I see it. There's good and there's bad. Another thing that we do, not just in my state, but nationwide is we, yes, we dump a lot of money into education, but we dump it into the wrong places. Did you know that if I have parents and kids and stuff out to do an event at my school to try to get them involved more and I give them pizza and I pay for it with, because we're a lower income school. I I worked at at a middle school, lower income. First time I did this, I couldn't believe it. So I ordered pizza. It was like 30 pizzas. I mean, we were having a ton of people come out. And when they got there and I went to tip them, my boss said, no, you cannot tip them with that card because that's Title I funds is how we're paying for this. And I said, well, how do you tip the guy? Well, you either don't tip or you do it out of your pocket. So I had to pull out of my pocket and tip this guy. And I was flabbergasted. There are so many rules about how administration and principals can spend money. I have teachers that can't get what they need because we don't have the funds to do it. And yet I see millions and millions of dollars flowing through our school on all kinds of other stuff, right? We can spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on supplies that teachers already have or supplies that we can, you know, write up a paper for and make it sound like as long as we can justify buying something out of a specific pot, there's plenty of money there. The problem is there's too many rules and regulations. We even have It used to be that teachers got a check for school supplies at the beginning of the year. They could spend, I mean, we all, if you know a teacher that's worth their weight in gold or worth their weight in salt or whatever the saying is, they spend money on their classroom. They spend plenty of money on their classroom. And I think our teachers get like $230 and it used to be they got a check for $230. It covers some of the cost of what they spend on their class. Well, now, at least in my district, they get a card. And they can spend the card only on approved items. And then someone from administration has to look at every single receipt and every single item and approve it before they'll get reimbursed for it. That's ridiculous. Because I have teachers that will buy stuff for their classroom. Maybe a PE teacher. Nothing falls under what they're allowed to buy. They can't buy cones and umbrellas and PE stuff because it's not on the list of classroom supplies. Because they have a classroom that's outside the box. And so... They don't get to spend that money on what they need to spend it on. So they end up spending their own money. They couldn't buy a scale for PE because it wasn't on the list. So right now I'm just ranting because education is broken. But we're going to talk about some ways to fix it. So let's go into that. Number one. Oh, wait, one more thing. Well, no, we can talk about this. This is how you fix it. You start with paying teachers a very, very um, competitive salary. Because that way, when there's a vacancy... Here's how vacancies work at schools. You post a vacancy. We have a position open in math. Crickets. You get nothing. And then you'll have somebody walk through the door who's not qualified, who's not anything. They'll say, well, I I can learn how to do math. I'll sub in there. And you do the best that you can with what you got. And, you know, you grow that person into a good teacher if, if you're lucky. If you're not, they show up on day one and then they leave or they don't show up at all. Or they show up and they're a train wreck and you're hoping that somebody else comes in. How about we pay teachers so much that there is a line of people wanting to work there, right? And for example, in my state, the state of Florida, almost anybody can walk outside the classroom and go get another job making more money. They can work in the um, field of 
tourism. They can work in uh, construction. They can work in all kinds of stuff. They're going to make a whole lot more money. And so we've got to make it competitive or you're not going to have anybody in line to teach. And we need to do the same thing with janitorial staff, with um, bus drivers, with food service. We need to pay people enough that they want to work in the education system so that those jobs are competitive. Because when you have competitive jobs, then you have a line of people. And if you're choosing from nobody, nobody applies, and then you get one applicant in three weeks, who are you going to pick? If you're like me, and there's nothing wrong with their background, and their breathing and living soul, and you've been putting kids into a, a holding tank for two months you're going to go with the person who applied, right? So, but what if there were 30 or 40 or 50 people in line to apply? I know somebody that works at a school virtually and those jobs, they don't pay more. Uh, well, they do pay a little bit more, but they, they have this added benefit of you can work from home and you don't actually have to go to work. And they had a position recently and they had 112 applicants. That's how it should be in education, period, everywhere, all the time. They probably have 112 applicants from people who are leaving traditional brick-and-mortar schools to go to virtual-type schools because everybody's getting tired of it. That's why there's a mass exodus. So we need to pay teachers more. That's, that's first and foremost. And we can't do, again, this happened in my state. Um, we got to see how we're writing these things. Because in in my state, again, DeSantis, I like a lot of stuff that he's done, but he came out and said, teachers are going to make X amount. We're going to increase the pay of teachers. Well, there's so many caveats to the word teacher. Our district, I don't know if it was our district or the state or whatever, but it was interpreted as teachers, that like straight teachers. If your title was anything, if you were a resource person under a teacher contract, but you weren't listed as a teacher, you didn't get the bonus when they did bonuses. And then they did this starting pay for new teachers that brought some of the new teachers up to what the veterans were making. If you're going to increase salaries, you have to do it across the board because how are you going to make somebody feel valued if they make, they've been working for 10 or 15 years for you and then you get somebody that's just got hired and because we've lowered, you know, things that you need to get hired, maybe they don't even have a degree in education or whatever and now they're making as much as the person that's been there 15 years. That, that's got to go. Um, tenure. Now, teachers are going to hate me for saying this, but the teachers that hate me for saying this are the ones that probably don't need to be on tenure. The, the teachers that are exceptional, almost, I can't even think of one, without exception, they could care less about tenure because they know they're going to have a job because they do a good job. So we need to look at that because it's hard to get rid of a teacher after they're tenured, even if they suck. And if they don't suck... And then they get to three years, they tend to start to suck because they realize that you can't get rid of them. And so we need to look at teacher pay. We need to look at um, being able to build schools for the size and capacity that we need. In my state, you cannot build for, you can only build schools based on the number of students that are currently in that taxable area. Well, when an area is growing exponentially, there's nothing in there. So you end up with all these portables and my school has like over 30 portables and portables are just like freestanding classrooms because they didn't have the money to build a building. And it's because 
house builders put up houses faster than we can put up schools. We got to get ahead of it. Who cares if the school's only going to be at half capacity for three or four or five years? If the growth is coming and the growth is there, let's go ahead and build for capacity so the kids aren't falling all over each other. Um, what else can we do? Here's what some other countries have done that I, I really like the idea. If we wanted to overhaul the entire thing, we privatize education. We let companies take it over and because government wastes money. They really do. If you gave money to private companies to run schools, they would figure it out. And it's starting to happen with charter type stuff, but we just go full-blown, set up a privatized system so that if you want to go to a school, you take your voucher for your kid to any school that you want to go to. Transportation might have to be on you or the school might have, a you know, each school will probably do it differently, but they'll figure out a way to get your kid to school if it's, if it makes sense for them to do that. So if we privatize education, it's going to get better because schools are going to be competing with each other for the vouchers. Right now, schools, kids go to the school they're zoned for, period. doesn't matter if that school's good, bad. If, if your kid's ever been zoned for a bad school, it's really hard to get them somewhere else. And it, it's, it's really kind of what messes up the, the whole educational process. But what if all five schools in an area, what if one school started stealing everybody from the other schools? And the other schools were starting to have to cut people and cut staff and and it was a private company and it was in it to make a profit. You know what they'd do? They'd make their school better because if they made their school better, more people would come to it. So that's another option. Um, and here's an option that I think kills two birds with one stone. We talk about paying teachers. How about number one, if a teacher works at a school that's high – now privatizing education would take care of this kind of because companies would pay what they needed to pay to get good people in the door. But let's say we don't privatize. One thing we could do is how about at lower income schools, anybody working there has like a base salary that's tacked, you know, that their salary is tacked on top of. Like if you're going to work at a low socioeconomic school, we need our best people. But we don't get our best people because there's a lot of headaches that come with working at a school like that. So they go to good schools because they get some experience and they can go. Well, how about we pay them more to stay? Or how about teachers don't get paid the same amount across the board? And teachers are going to hate me for this too. But should a PE teacher, when we have a PE opening, we probably get 20 or 30 applicants. Because PE doesn't require the same amount of time and energy and mental capacity as say calculus so why can't we pay more for the classes that we have a shortage in you know you know why it's hard to find a math teacher because you can make so much money in this technology driven world if you know math so let's pay math teachers more and then we'll get more math teachers in the door i mean that's an idea and then here's another idea and this one i think would happen if we privatized but we could do it without privatizing How about we pay teachers per kid instead of all these regulations about class size can't go over 30. I've got teachers on my campus who have said to me, we've had this conversation. They're like, yeah, they're the best teachers with the best scores and their kids are learning. And it's, I would love to just put them in a bigger room and let's just um, expand their reach and get in front of more people and bring in some teachers to help facilitate, but they could be the lead teacher or bring in some 
other people that could help. They wouldn't even have to be certified. And those teachers have told me, I would love to do that, except our union won't allow it. And if I did that, I should get paid more. Well, at the school level, we don't have, we don't have the power to do that. But I know of at least one, two, three teachers that have told me, and we've had conversations about this, and they would do it, and they would be exceptional. And actually going bigger in a classroom, if you had the size, could lead to more interaction, better facilitation of projects. It, it could lead to more learning, and you would only have one teacher. But instead of one teacher to 30 kids, you might have one teacher to 90 kids. And, and not every teacher can do this. That's why you can't do it across the board. So don't hear me and say, okay, we need to pile more kids on teachers. No, we need to pay teachers more if we're going to pay them. I know there's some countries who are starting to do stuff where teachers, kids pick their teacher. I think they're doing it in Japan. And some of their teachers are making as much as their athletes because they get paid per kid. Well, again, that's like privatizing except for teachers because it makes kids, it makes teachers want to have the best class and the most engaging class so that kids will want to take their class. And I think there's one guy over there that he has so many people in his class, he has to do it via like virtually somehow. And so what happens is he got all these kids taking it from him and he's making millions of dollars a year because he's teaching so many kids because so many people are signing up to learn from him. All right. End of rant because this is getting long, but I would love to hear your ideas, comments. Um, Please email me. Jason at wealthanize.com and I will see you on the next episode. God bless.